leaders encourage and reward people for speaking up. They design processes and meetings and systems that enable and encourage people to speak up and share their truth. And then when people do speak up and step into that spotlight, they're rewarded. Speaking up isn't an instruction, it's a culture. Hey, it's Nikki Llewellyn Gregory, and you're on Gut Plus Science. You're in for a fast-paced, storytelling, action-item-rich leadership growth experience. I hope you make this podcast a habit. I consider it a leadership mentoring tool. Learning together makes us better together, and that is how we change the world around us. Let's get to it. Shed is back. The book is live, people. We're celebrating to kick off this episode. So Stephen Shed Shedletsky is back for another episode. If you missed the last episode of us together on Gut Plus Science, you need to go find it, actually. I'm going to link it in the show notes. It's a really good one. And we talk about the journey to getting to here. Shed is passionate about creating speak up cultures where everyone has a voice and is valued for their contribution. When we were together last time, the book that we're celebrating today was just a dream. And since then, there's been a lot that happened and the book is published. It's titled Speak Up Culture When Leaders Truly Listen, People Step Up. I'll link that in the show notes too. Go get yourself a copy. Shed, welcome back. Today, we're going to talk about the book a little bit and what didn't make the book. So you've had some surprise learnings while building your business, writing the book, submitting the book to the publisher. Tell us about these surprise learnings and that journey. Thank you so much. Well, it's such a delight to be back with you and such a fun trip considering the first episode. Because when we first recorded, I was just in the early stage ideas of forming some ideas. And now we have a full-fledged book. So, so cool. I know we'll go into more detail as we go on here, Nikki, but there's sort of three big content pieces that I've since learned that had I thought about them earlier, they would have made the book. But there are these things called deadlines and printing that can both be a foe and a friend. So this is like the special episode, people. You remember like when you'd be at the grocery store line and you'd see like special edition. We only have so many copies of this to get the goods and the news. This is kind of like what this episode is. The sort of biggest aha that happened as we wrote the book. And I said this to you in our first episode, I fully admit that I thought I was simply rebranding psychological safety. Psychological safety, it's in the zeitgeist. I have utmost respect for Amy Edmondson, who's helped to really put that term on the map. Her term is actually team psychological safety. But even Amy herself admits it's a mouthful, and she probably wouldn't have called it that had she had full creative license. She called it psychological safety because a reviewer for a paper she was writing said, oh, you're talking about psychological safety. And she's like, sure, if it gets me published, that's what it's called. Yeah. But it's not the best term. It doesn't really explain what it is. It can be confusing and puts an academic lab coat on a very human and real emotion. And so I did good old Zig Ziglar, people don't buy drills, they buy holes. If the drill is psychological safety, the hole and the result you get is a speak-up culture. But as we dug into the research and dug into my experience interviews, we really realized that it's not only psychological safety that's the drill to create a speak-up culture, an environment where people feel it is both safe and worth it to speak up, to share ideas, offer feedback, share concerns, disagree, admit mistake. So it's really these two pillars of, yes, is it psychologically safe and is it worth it? Do I have the perception that my speaking up will actually lead to some sort of beneficial outcome for others, not necessarily yourself, because it always takes a risk to speak up. 
Awesome. Well, thank you for that. And I'm super excited. We're going to dig in on that in just a minute to just go a little bit deeper into is it worth it and really understand that. I think there's one or two other things we're going to touch on as the unveiling behind the curtain of what wasn't told in the book. Can you just mention those? And then I'm going to ask you some questions about your book writing. So the three things that didn't make it in that I've really started enjoying speaking about recently is speaking up isn't an instruction, it's a culture. And there's a sweet spot when it comes to speaking up. So we'll talk about the speak up sweet spot. We'll talk about Ian Craig Ferguson and what he has to say about a speak up culture, which is pretty cool. And then the difference between an uppercase L and a lowercase L leader. Oh, I don't remember us talking about that one. So that's going to be new for me. It's new. Yeah. This is really new people like hot off the press. I'm so excited. All right. So Shed, talk about the book for a minute and that just whole experience of bringing that to life. What was the hardest part of writing a book? The hardest part was the repetition and the editing. I very much, Nikki, stacked the deck in my favor, meaning I knew my strengths, I knew my limitations, I knew my work tendencies. And so I built a team around me to help bring this book to life and do it in both a timeline and a level of quality that I was pleased with. That included an amazing developmental editor at my publisher, Page Two, Kendra Ward. That included an amazing writing and research partner for the first draft of the book, Ariel Hubbard. That included an amazing team of copy editors, proofreaders at my publisher, my research partner and business partner, Alejandro. So I stacked the deck in my favor because working alone and a blank page both intimidate me. And so I got help to do it in a way that I felt that I would be pleased and proud with the finished outcome. And I had a running joke with my wife the number of times I would look over to her, you know, sitting on the couch after we put our kids to bed. And I'd say to her, hey, Julie, guess what? I finished writing the book again. <laughs> I mean, it's just, it's a repetitive, you know, just like, all right, here we go again and viewing it with fresh eyes. That's hard. The thing I found easy though, I've heard horror stories of authors not wanting to cut stories or certain pieces, I was actually very open to. We were so clear on the thesis of the book and the job to be done for each piece of it that I felt actually quite good about cutting stuff. We cut an entire chapter. It was the right thing to do. We cut stories that are stories I love. And it's just like, no, it's not needed. So I was actually pleasantly surprised on how easy it was to cut stuff. Oh, that's good. I think that's a universal lesson when we are so clear on the why or the core mission, then it's like, yeah, there are all of these things. But as long as we're getting there, we can save those for later. Creates clarity. Clarity. Yeah. Okay. So what about hindsight 2020? What would you have done differently? One thing in the book writing process? I would change two things and I'm starting to work on my next book. So I'm going to put these lessons into action. So one, I'm a believer in version control, but don't work in an online dock because I work a lot on planes and I had a few experiences where I either couldn't access it. I lost work or there was great fear that I was losing work. So as much as I can try to take docs and bring them offline and then maybe reload it back up to a cloud after the other was it was fine to have separate docs when we had like one, two, three chapters. But as soon as we had six, seven, I began forgetting where we spoke about or wrote about certain things. And so I was having to search multiple documents. So when it's the right time to keep things separate versus when it's the right time to amalgamate and put it all in one doc or one program. Mm, yeah. Nuggets of wisdom here, people. Very tactical. Very tactical. Yeah. 
And then, okay, Shed, what are you most excited about now that the book has launched? So I've heard this about other authors and even about a movie producer that once you finish a book or you finish a movie and you release it out into the world, it kind of has a life of its own. And you can use it as the analogy of like either birthing a child or having a long lost friend. So there's something that I'm really excited about. It just reaching people. I've had a number of early readers through the process and some surprisingly delightful things they've said around that it was engaging, it was easy to read, but yet it had depth. It wasn't a simple read, but it was engaging and they wanted to read it. I've heard folks that have read to it or listened to it in a day or two, which is awesome. I'm just excited to see where it goes and who it reaches and how it might help. And I've said this to you or Maybe you've heard me say it, that I've written a philosophy book disguised as a business book. I've written about the change that I wish to see in the world, not just business. I love that. And accountability on my end, I need to go order the book and read it. And then maybe our next episode together is me talking about my takeaways and drilling down on questions. So just noted, I'm saying that out loud so that I go order it and read it and you hold me accountable and we have a fun <laughs> next conversation. Love it. Part three. Yes. So before we go to the behind the scenes stuff, I know you touched on this when we first hopped on, but let's just section this out for a second. Help us define speak up culture and really the core teachings and at the same time what it isn't. A speak up culture is an environment in which people feel it is both safe and worth it to share ideas, to share feedback, to help one another grow, and even ideas that aren't fully baked share concerns, even if they're unpopular or personal, to disagree, especially with someone more senior than you, and to even admit mistake, believing it will lead to improvement, not being repeatedly ignored or punished. And it's those two questions. Is it safe? Is it worth it? That really form a speak-up culture. So how do you create one? To create a speak-up culture, leaders have a disproportionate impact. Again, I value leadership more in its behavior than its title. And we have an equation in the book for culture that examines one's level of influence. That the more influence you have in a culture, which may be authority, title, it could be who you are and how you behave or who hired you or where you sit in the organization. But the more influence you have, the more your individual values and behavior impacts culture disproportionately. And what great leaders do whether in formal title, what I call a capital L leader, or through behavior, a lowercase l leader, you might not have the title, but you have the people because of your behavior. Leaders encourage and reward people for speaking up. They encourage folks to do so. They set the condition. They set the environment. They ask the right questions. They're silent. They design processes and meetings and systems that enable and encourage people to speak up and share their truth. And then when people do speak up and step into that spotlight, they're rewarded. And reward doesn't necessarily mean an extrinsic reward. It's far more intrinsic, you know, thank you. That really took courage to speak up. Nikki, I don't see everything that you're sharing here. Can you share more? We didn't implement your idea, but here's why. Keep it coming. These are all forms of reward. So it dovetails nicely into the other question you have around what a speak-up culture isn't. So first and foremost, speaking up is not an order. Speaking up is a culture. Because sometimes it isn't safe and it isn't worth it to speak up. What I don't want people to do is be like, well, Shed said speak up all the time, every place to every person. And I'm like, no, not necessarily. Like it might not be safe. It might not be worth it. It's the responsibility of leaders to create less fear, more safety, that it feels like it's worth it. So speak up, yes, is not an instruction. It is a culture. 
It's a culture where we feel it is both safe and worth it to do so, to take that risk. What speak up culture also isn't, and this is the speak up culture spectrum or sweet spot, in the middle is that sweet spot where it's safe, it's productive. It doesn't mean it's always positive sunshine, rainbows, unicorns, and lollipops. Sometimes it's the hardest conversations, but we end out the other end better, more aligned where we should be in our relationships with the team, with the organization. So when looking at that spectrum, so you have that sweet spot in the middle, but what it isn't on the other polar ends of that spectrum, speaking up is not sucking up. And speaking up is not licensed to be a complete utter jerk. <laughs> it's not hall pass to throw out tact, decency, respect, emotional awareness, and situational awareness. So that's on one end. And the other end is it's not sucking up. That's just hogging air and being like, oh, boss wants us to speak up. I'll just do it all the time. And you can get into trouble. You can only hear from the same voices. So it's not a diverse set and it's not a true representation of what a team feels. So yeah, those are the polar ends. And what leaders ought to do is focus on the intent. If the intent you feel is positive, then you can coach the behavior. You can coach on the impact. If you feel that the intent is not positive, meaning it could be speak up to be seen as, then there's some coaching and some feedback to be delivered on your experience of the intent as well. I think it's so good that you're deciphering that. I'm curious when it comes to the development of speak up culture and the constant evolution of doing this. Being an entrepreneur, writing a book, building a business, it is not easy for anybody. Like it's a lot of work. And there has been scenarios in your life. You've had experiences that make you fight for this every day. We all do. So actually, I want to give a quick shout out to a listener right now that's in a crummy experience. You're waking up and you're like, this sucks. This is not meaningful work. This is very much draining my life. It will change. Like you do have to take action on that. But I am going to stand on the belief that this will be such a great teacher when you go to that next place to really flourish. And so I was curious, Shed, about a story that keeps you fired up to continue your evolution of this and keep working for this cause because it was a crummy experience and you don't want other people going through it. You have something that comes to mind? Oh, yeah, definitely. So two things. That's the reason why I wrote this book. So one, I wrote this book because I grew up with a stutter and I know what it feels like to be voiceless. And so I have very distinct memories, particularly when I was younger, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, even as a young adult, where my speech impediment and stutter got in the way of my confidence, my willingness to voice. And then I've also had both seen in clients and seen in other folks that I've worked with, as well as in my own experience, I've had a myriad of leaders, some leaders who do make it safe and worth it to speak up and leaders where we had an amazing relationship and the breadth and depth of what we covered in our relationship professionally and personally, I considered them a friend. It led to greater creativity and innovation. I've also had and even seen teams go from having a speak up culture to there not being one anymore because leaders changed and the behaviors that became rewarded and tolerated changed. I'm thinking of one particular experience where I felt I did the right thing in speaking up and it very quickly became clear to me that it was not safe and it was not worth it. I had inadvertently stepped on a landmine and that really created a lot of inspiration to write this book of what leaders do. They decrease ego, they increase humility. When leaders hear negative feedback, they don't make the messenger wrong. They dig into the message. Yes, that's so good. And I just thought of something, you know, a lot of times what propels us is what we're fighting for. 
I read something one time. It was a LinkedIn post. It really made me think. And every time I say this, it challenges me. Passion is not your fire, your excitement. Passion is what you wake up to fight for because it's the other side of like, I don't want this for people or I'm fighting against this. And that's really where passion comes from. Just what you shared right there is what you're fighting for. You were on the other side. You want people to experience this. I have a voice and I am valued. On the other side, a lot of times what inspires us to keep going, especially as entrepreneurs, is when we see transformation. It's like, whoa, I've seen a boss hole go to awesomeness. So I'm just curious if you've seen this, like I almost kind of thought there wasn't hope there because it was a bad, challenging scenario for everybody that was getting touched. But you saw complete transformation and you're like, if they could do that, we could do that for so many more people. Anything come to mind? Well, first, I want to double click on the term boss hole because that's amazing. I love that. Stealing it, giving it credit, using it. And just to point out and double click, Nikki, on what you shared around like where purpose and passion lives. It's not one or the other. It's both that it can be in what you've overcome and it also can live in just pure strength and fulfillment. What you're pointing to in this question of have I seen a transformation Yes. <laughs> if I didn't, I would stop my job because it would be too depressing. There's one leader that I worked with who got a really bad rap for being a boss hole. And I did some coaching with him and helped him articulate his purpose. I gave him one little quick tool, which really transformed things, which I loved. And what it was, instead of trying to pretend that you aren't who you are, just be who you are. And so I'm thinking of two leaders, one who was a very senior leader in a consulting practice, and he would often walk from one meeting room to the next meeting room back when everyone was in office all the time, and he'd be grumpy and people wouldn't approach him because they feared that he was boss holing, but he wasn't. He was just pensive and thinking. And so what he began to do is anytime he would meet a new group of folks, he would train them. And he would say, this is just who I am. I have resting pensive face. And so if you see me walking in the halls and it looks like I'm deep in thought and have no interest in speaking with you, that's not the case. I'm just thinking. And so please stop me in your tracks. I'm going to work on keeping my head up and waving. But if I'm honest, that's just not how I'm naturally wired. So if you see me, please interrupt me. Say hello. Say how you know me, whatever it might be. I had another leader who I worked with, a very senior female leader, and she was smart beyond smart beyond smart. And she would have this ability of asking domain experts questions about their work they never contemplated ever before. And it would freak people out. Imagine being a domain expert and someone who isn't a domain expert asks you something and you're like, uh, and they would feel so insecure and that she was trying to diminish them. And she's like, no, this is just my curiosity. I can't help but. And so what she did is she added a little preface saying, hey, I'm going to ask you a couple of questions. You may not have thought of these things before. I don't want your answer right now. I want you to think about these. And just that little preamble. So yeah, I've seen the difference, Nikki, between a narcissistic personality disorder leader who like, I don't have much faith that there's going to be a transformation because there's very little awareness or willingness versus the vast majority of us who walk around not necessarily knowing the impact that we have on people because the only person that can be objective with us is not us. And so when leaders learn about their impact, positive or negative, I'm really inspired by those who go, ooh, 
That's not how I want people to feel around me. What can I do to change that? So there are a couple of stories. I love it. Thank you for sharing that. Okay, let's narrow in on these three things. So you had mentioned speak up is a culture and the sweet spot. Talk about that. So speak up is not an instruction. It's a culture where leaders make it safe and worth it to speak up. And that's that sweet spot. On the other end of that spectrum is sucking up, which is people are speaking up, but it's speaking up to be seen as and hogging air. And you typically aren't hearing from a diverse set of voices there. And then on the other end of the spectrum is it's not hall pass or license to be a complete utter jerk. That tact, respect, decency, emotional awareness, and situational awareness can still be skins in the game or standards for what it means to have a speak up culture. So that's one thing that didn't make it in the book. That's good. I see that as speak up is a culture. It's not a check the box. Yeah. And to your point, you never arrive. You are always arriving. Yeah. Love it. Comedian Craig Ferguson taught you something. So not directly, but he is credited with a Venn diagram that is one of the most brilliant things I've seen on a speak up culture. It is, does this need to be said right now and by me? And I love that. So does it need to be said? Sometimes that one's a hard one to figure out. And so you can check with your team. I have an idea. I don't know if now's the appropriate time. Stop me in my tracks if you think this isn't the appropriate time. But I think this should be said. Then there is, so does it need to be said right now? So that's that emotional intelligence, situational awareness of like, this needs to be said, but not now, not in this meeting. This is a follow-up conversation. And then the last one is by me. Because sometimes something does need to be said, but not necessarily by you. Now, the interesting one, Nikki, is this needs to be said. It needs to be said right now and not by me, but no one's speaking up. That's a really interesting one. And if you do have a speak up culture, maybe I'm sitting here being like, Nikki needs to say the thing. Nikki needs to say the thing. And either you don't have awareness or you'd feel like you don't have permission or you need a little bit of courage. And so it can be my opportunity to go, hey, team, we need to pause because I know Nikki has some data collected and a story here or a perspective that is going to fundamentally change how we're viewing this opportunity at risk of being so bold. Nikki, can you share the thing that I know you've built on slide 17? I love that. Inside of a speak up culture, that's actually safe and worth it. Yeah. I remember when we talked about this before, and it reminds me of the rotary three-way test or four-way test. Like, is it fair? Is it fair to all concerned? Is it the truth? If you're familiar with Rotary Clubs, everyone operates under that and you can call people out for not sticking to that or whatever. I feel like this is similar where it's like leadership communication test. Run it through this before you talk. I think that's great. Totally. Okay. And then I know you touched on this before, but just the teaching lesson on uppercase and lowercase leader. Yeah, so this is the third thing that didn't make it in the book, but maybe an article, a keynote near you or my third book. We'll see. So uppercase L versus lowercase L leadership. Leadership isn't a title. Leadership is a behavior. My favorite quote on leadership at present comes from my dear friend, Rich Devinney, who's a retired US SEAL and wrote the book, The Attributes. His quote is, leaders aren't born. Leaders aren't made. Leaders are chosen based upon the way that they behave. And sure, there are some of us who are born with some of the attributes and have some of the skills that make us better leaders. But just because we're born with it doesn't mean that we automatically have it. And even if we develop and work on our leadership, that doesn't give us a checkmark or a leader forever. We're constantly being evaluated based upon the way that we behave. And we're human, so we're fallible. And so the distinction I like to make is there's uppercase L leader, 
which is you have a formal role and title of leadership. You are founder CEO of your company, uppercase L leader. And the responsibility and expectation for you to behave as a leader is increased because you hold the title. Ergo, you should behave as such, right? It's literally in your job. And by the way, I'll just say the fact that we have the term servant leadership means that I think our current definition of leadership is broken. Leaders serve. That's the standard. Lowercase l leadership means that you may not necessarily hold the title, but you commit to behaving as such and you have the people. I'm a big fan of lowercase l leaders and I'm a big fan of uppercase L leaders who behave as leaders. And those leadership behaviors, I'll take again from Rich Devaney in his book, The Attributes, he covers a few of the leadership attributes. This may not be comprehensive, but I think it's a good start. Empathy, authenticity, like a consistency of our experience of you. By the way, you don't need warmth and you don't need charisma to be a good leader. I know consistently cold, grumpy, introverted leaders, but they cared about me and I never had that doubt. So empathy, care, authenticity, service orientation, decisiveness, meaning you have an ability to make decisions and then accountability, meaning when things go well, you give credit. And when things don't go well, you take disproportionate responsibility. Oh, that's so good. Rich was on Gut Plus Science maybe six months ago. I really enjoyed that conversation and diving into the attributes. So Thank you for sharing that and so much good here. This time has flown by. We are going to head over to our lightning round. So I'm going to take a quick break so we can insert our sponsor for today. And then we're going to do our lightning round. And I'm pretty sure all of these questions, except for maybe how to reach you, are all new things. We haven't talked about these. So we'll be right back. Shout out to the Talent Talks podcast by Titus. Show host Jonathan Reynolds, CEO of Titus Talent, brings a unique blend of fun, humor, and passion Jonathan's vibrant energy shines through the microphone as he engages with every guest live, creating a captivating synergy. Jonathan collaborates with each guest to delve into topics that empower leaders to make optimal hiring and engagement decisions from a people-first lens. You gotta give this podcast a try. Talent Talks. Back on Gut Plus Science, Shed, you're here for our lightning round. And we would love to know, because you already added, I think, your favorite book of all time, was your answer last time. So a favorite recent read, what book would you throw out to us? My favorite recent read is a fiction-ish book called 112263 by Stephen King. It is not a business book. It's about going back, traveling in time to prevent the assassination of JFK. Oh, interesting. We just did a tour. I was in Dallas and did the whole tour to see all the spots, the last moments of his life. It was fascinating. Yeah, check out 112263. Okay. Thank you. So Shed, the one place in the world that is magical, you've been there before, you'd love to go back, but there's just a magic about how it makes you feel. Ooh. So I took part in a leadership development program that happened across a year with four retreats. And it was a place called Bend of Ivy, close by to Asheville, North Carolina. Oh. I think it's in Marshall, North Carolina. And it's just this amazing retreat space in between hills. And so that is a place that I've been to four times in all four seasons over the span of a year. And I've yet to be back. And I do want to make it back there. Nice. Noted that one. <laughs> and then how about in the past five years, a lesson, it sucked learning it, but you're really grateful that you had the experience and it's taught you something. I think I'm still learning it, or maybe I just haven't developed more of it. 
So speaking of attributes, in becoming a father, so I have a seven and a half and a four and a half year old now. They just had their half birthdays and they're very insistent on letting me know I just had my half birthday, half a cupcake for each of you. I thought before I was a parent that I was a patient person. And as it turns out, I could use a lot more patience. And I think I'm patient with the growth and development of adults <laughs> and less so about certain very age-appropriate behavior from my seven and four-year-old. So I'm working on building that patience muscle. Yeah, I can feel that. And man, when people say like, your kids are your greatest teacher, whew, there are some lessons and they suck learning, but they make us stronger and better. And our greatest mirror as well. Yeah. And finally, Shed, before we head off, can you let people know best way to connect with you or best way to engage whatever you've got going on that we would want to let them know? Yes. My hope is by the time that this airs, we will have relaunched our brand new speakupculture.com website. So you can check out and learn more about the book and find some great resources at speakupculture.com. I'm most active on LinkedIn, and I think I'm the only Stephen Shedletsky in the entire world for the time being. So all you handfuls of Shedletskys out there, name your children wisely. So those are two places you can definitely find me online. It was lovely to have Shed back on Gut Plus Science. And of course, we're full of all these takeaways and I had to narrow them down. I got five from today. Number one, create a speak up culture to help people speak up and feel it's worth it to do so. Two powerful questions. Is it safe? Is it worth it? That's what we're working towards building as leaders, our speak up culture. Is it safe? Is it worth it? Number two, encourage and reward people to speak up. This is a speak up culture. So Shed illustrated prompting someone that did speak up about something and saying, I really enjoyed learning from you on X. Is there anything else that you could add to that to give me more understanding, helping them know that you heard them and asking them to go deeper, encourage and reward people to speak up? Number three, speak up is a culture, not a check the box. Well, I did it today, I spoke up, or I asked people and no one responded, that's very check the box oriented versus we're creating an environment where this is natural to people and they take ownership and want to speak up and find value in doing so. Number four, this leadership communication test, if you will, that we run our communication through as preparation to make sure that what we're saying is important, most needed, all that. So the questions, does this need to be said? Does this need to be said right now? And does this need to be said by me? Love it. And finally, leadership isn't a title. Leadership is how we show up. I think we all know that. And hopefully if you're leading just by a title, this is your call to action to go deeper than that. But Shed talked about the uppercase leader and the lowercase leader, both super valuable and just really important to understand when we're an uppercase leader, meaning we have a formal title and we are expected to show up in this certain way, definitely puts more emphasis on how we're sharpening and feeding our leadership game but that's an uppercase leader. A lowercase leader doesn't necessarily have a title in leadership, but leads. And we can lead from any level. And it's just so important for all of us at any level to realize we have ability to lead people. And leadership is about impacting and serving and changing lives. So let's all go out and lead meaningfully. Thank you so much, Shed. We're so excited about your book. Again, congratulations. And thank you for coming back. We'll see you again. Oh,
just left the world a little bit better. Now, go do something with it.